Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome, everybody, two guys at a mic show. A little residue Tuesday here in the fine city of Chicago. We pick up some of the residue from the sports weekend that we did not get. <coughs> Excuse me very much. That we did not. We have a cough button over here, Dave. I can't hear what Dave is saying. We do not have a cough button. All right, well, the next time I'm going to cough right on here. At any rate, uh, we got much more than the weekend sports activities. We got yesterday's basketball games to recap. We got a big event coming up a week from tomorrow. Dog and a coach appearing live. I got to throw, throw a few thank yous out. And all kinds of stuff happening uh, nationally and internationally with Russian elections, Super Tuesday, and apparently the G8 Summit. Much to the chagrin of Joel Redwanski and waterwriters.com has rescheduled from the city of Chicago. Out to Camp David. Where is Camp David? In, in uh, Virginia? Somewhere I'm pretty on... sure it's Virginia, Captain. In Virginia. Forward. Big Dog, I know you were planning on a lot of business uh, with the G8 Summit. You, uh, for those listeners not familiar, give uh, uh, kayak tours via waterriders.com. That's prime time for you in the middle of May. People are coming out, all the world leaders. I pictured you and maybe uh, Israel's... Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu on a one-on-one tour guide. You know, I, I kind of picture something like that, but it's not going to happen because they rescheduled it. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel. Hey, don't call him Yahoo. I, I guarantee you something. If he was in the city of Chicago, he would not be taking a uh, water riders tour guide. As a matter of fact, I did this piece with Chi-Town Mix uh, last <sighs> December. So that would be about 14 months ago, Coach? Yep. Found out when Netanyahu visited New York, he he visited S and M clubs consistently. Wow. Really? Yes, Benjamin Netanyahu. And it wasn't just like one night in a performance, though. A little mix up. Mm-hmm. Every night he was in New York, he went to like two Come or on. three different S and M clubs. Come on, there's no way. No way. Where are you? Give me your research. Give me your. Uh, where did you get this information from again? Uh, from last, that was a long, uh, that was like 14 that's, months ago. I did a lot of different information, a little that's research a, on that's, that. That's a little bit hard to believe, and I, and I don't appreciate you calling the leader of Israel a Yahoo, by the way. Kidding or not. Um, Big dog, great to talk to you, my friend. Beautiful Tuesday here in the fine city of Chicago. Weather's pretty nice out there. You take the wind away, and we could, uh, you know, have perfect baseball weather. And speaking of baseball, our Chicago Cub team, I meant to bring this up. It is Residue Tuesday, so we carry over the saturation from the weekend, if you will. But the uh, Cubs lose again yesterday. They're 0-2 to kick off a spring training. Is it too early to call this season a dismal uh, start already? Yeah, it's already. It's it's not too early, Coach. They may have dug themselves a hole they can't get out. (laughs) You think Dale Swain is in trouble? Yeah, he is, without question. Maybe maybe this uh, maybe this attention to detail wasn't such a good idea. It might be a little bit too much uh, pressure on these players. Yeah, detail might be overrated. Who knows? Oh, and two in the White Sox. The White Sox get, get, get they get beaten in their opening game yesterday, and I think already the website 
uh, FireRobinVentura.com has already been taken, if you're thinking of starting one. Uh, you know, though that's I guarantee. As soon as somebody gets hired, there's some guy. <laughs> he just looks for people who get hired. Oh, that guy was hired at North Shore Country Day, FireJohnCohn.com. So it just happens immediately, Coach. I mm-hmm. guarantee somebody owns that that web domain already, mm-hmm. FireJohnCohn.com. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably a lot of people fighting over that one. But uh, getting off of me for a minute, if we could, and back to Robin Ventura, was his first game as a manager in the big leagues, big dog spring training or otherwise, kind of weird for uh, Ventura. Uh, but, you know, it was I mean, his first game in the major leagues is anything but a player. Oh, and it happens to be the manager of yes. the team in the third largest market in America. Yep. Little odd. Mm-hmm. Kenny Williams definitely taking a chance. And, you know, when you take a chance, I, I would say this move is high risk, high reward. But when you – Take the high risk. Obviously, there's that basement level of possibility as well. Yeah, there's, there's, a, you, you have that chance. And I don't want. I, I, I like Robin Ventura a lot. He's yep. a good guy. I, I just don't know if this is the right hire. This is really up in the air. I mean, like, it, I would like to give an opinion on this, but I am so like I'm waiting to see what happens. To be honest with you, you know, I, it's, I, I like him so much. The only opinion I'm going to give to you is I think he'll do a good job. Mm-hmm. But I really am not 100% certain about that, Coach, is the, is the way I'm going into that. Now, the, the Cubs situation, I really do think they got themselves an excellent manager. The best part about the fact that I think Dale Swain is going to be a good manager, he was really bad as a player. And he was really bad playing about seven different positions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he used to pinch hit, he used to do all that stuff. I think he'll be perfect. You know, Robin Ventura was a superstar his whole entire life. He was a what, the Third, I mean, how high was he drafted by the White Sox out of Oklahoma State? Because he had that 58-game hitting streak. Yep. And I'm not saying anything bad now, but it just always seems that guys that work that good and made the most out of their careers tend to be better managers than superstars. And I don't care what anybody says. Robin Ventura was a Gold Glover, a five, at least a five-time All-Star player, drove in 100 runs probably four times. He was he was close to being a superstar. Uh, if he was a Chicago Cub and they had won a division, he would be a superstar is the best way for me to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Those, uh, you know, it's hard to make a total generalization, but typically the, the guys that were not that good and had to fight and claw and scratch, love of the game, extra effort to become players, those are the guys that make good coaches. And, yes, there are exceptions, but I agree with that. And Ventura was a high school star. He was a college star. And the pros... I don't know if you know, he had to work at it. He was a little bit of a, I don't know, you know, part grinder, part superstar. There was a little bit both of Robin Ventura. So on the optimistic side, maybe we get the the best of both. Let me ask you this, dog, uh, a little spring training talk kicking off uh, here on a fine Tuesday. And the two guys at a mic show are phone lines. If you want to check in, phone number open, 888-463-6748. Again, 888 Four eight nine lines open. If you want to try to squeeze in right now, um, would Robin Ventura have been hired if they were replacing somebody other than the mercurial personality of an Ozzie Guillen? In other words, was Kenny Williams looking for that exact opposite personality because that's what he felt the players needed? If it was a different manager, more middle of the road, would, would Robin Ventura have been the guy Kenny Williams would have gone for? Yeah, coach, considering. You know, you know, normally people, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter who was before. We, we need to 
know what's good for this team now and going forward. Now, that most owners, presidents, general managers will, will always say that. But if you consider this fact about it, I, I never thought about that question, but consider this fact, though, that Robin Ventura wasn't even going, hey, I want to be a manager. I want to get into major league coaching. All of a sudden, Reinsdorf and Williams just call him up and be like, hey, what, what would you think about managing the White Sox? So it has to be. It has to be. If Robin Ventura put his hat in the ring and being like, hey, I want to be the manager and I want to get into managing and I'll, I'll, heck, I'll even coach first. I know I got to work, work my way up. And then they're like, hey, you know, maybe this is, think about it. He's totally opposite from Ozzy. Mm-hmm. You know, but they went, they're like, hey, they had to. Why would they just call Ventura up? Because they got to be like, we got to get somebody the exact opposite of the, of the whack job that we had in the city for the last <laughs> eight years. Ventura, from what I understand, he was actually doing a little baseball research at the time, but I think wherever he lived up in California, his kids play a little league, he was like going to be the assistant volunteer father, and they were having the little league draft like in two weeks. So he was actually going over some of the scouting reports of like 10-year-old kids, and then two days later, he's in front of the cameras. Uh, Hello, everybody. I'm the new manager of your Chicago White Sides. That's, that's quite a quantum leap, but you're right. He wasn't looking for it. Kenny Williams came after him. Yeah, and, and don't think. And don't think that uh, scouting in Little League Baseball doesn't make a difference. If you if you know exactly where to bunt the ball every single play of the game, mm-hmm. trust me, you can dominate a little. You, you go in 27 to 10. You know what I mean? Hey, just, oh, Timmy's playing third. All of a sudden you bunt the ball eight times in a row. There's eight, there's eight consecutive triples because <laughs> Timmy just threw the ball over the fence eight times in a row. Oh, so goodness. Scouting in Little League, Coach, is huge. I still that, remember. <laughs> I still remember my first draft, Big Dog. Uh, you know, the kids played T-ball, and then it was like coach pitch, you know. And then you move up to nine years old. And, of course, with your first son, you know, it's a little bit more intense. You know, the parents that have had like three, four, five, or six at that point, it's old hat for them. But anyhow, so was my first kid. And at age nine was the first time that you, you know, had the draft. And you kept standings, and there would be the playoffs in the World Series. So all the parents yeah, are getting must, hyper. We, we call that Mustang, the 9- and 10-year-old. Yes, ten year old. yes. Mustang? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But it was you know, it was the first time. So you get all these hyper type A parents. I thought I would cut the tension a little bit. And I wore like a, uh, a sport coat. I wore a top hat. And I brought a cigar to the draft meeting just to dress up a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. Very few people appreciated that. Thank you very much. But I was, I was unbelievable. I, I had next to me the uh, board members' scouting reports. I had last year's coaches' scouting reports. I had my own scouting report, and there was, like, one other one. I'm looking at four sheets of paper, you know, each one with three or four pages. I'm leafing it through it, like, after about, you know, 20, 25 minutes. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? We're drafting nine-year-old kids, and I got more paper than the major leaguers. It was a... Uh, Part tragic, part comedic scene, but I was sad to say I was part of it. Um, I, Coach, I, I have to say that uh, one of the, the greatest things is uh, I was actually in a, the what do you call it, uh, the Woodridge Park District building, okay? Yep. And this is where they just had the draft, okay? And, you know, we have our team party, and I remember our coach being like, yeah, this is where we draft and all that. And right when he said that, Tony LaRusso walked by. So, like, Tony LaRusso walked by because he lives in Woodridge. Wow. Okay. And he's he's going to the Woodridge uh, Park District pool, which, you like, it was funny that it was the Woodridge Park District pool, but only about 100 people in this little area were allowed to go in this pool. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
you know, next thing I know, I was like, what, Tony Russo was here? It, like, made it the biggest thing. I can't even explain. When I was nine years old, like, baseball to me was everything. Like, putting on my uniform, and every, it was like a ritual, Coach. I had I kept all my stats. All of our buddies kept all of our stats. We treated it like a real team. Let me like, ask you this. We all knew where we were drafted. I am not kidding. Well, you, you were an eight-round pick. You suck. Well, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> What, ha- what happens in the draft room stays in the draft room. You're not supposed well, to find out. We all knew. You're exactly right. We all knew we were drafted. I was first pick, second round. And Let, let uh, me ask you this, Big Dog. Let yeah. me ask you this. If we could go back into the boardroom as a 9- and 10-year-old kid, uh-huh. what were some of the parents, the board evaluators, what was the written or verbal evaluation of a 9- or 10-year-old Joe Rodwanski, if you could take a gander at that? No, well, I didn't pitch. So that was the problem, and I should have pitched because I probably would have been taken a little bit higher. But uh, they would say hits the ball to all fields and plays all the positions. So, and they would also say a lot of power and strikes out too much. So hits, strikes out too much, hits with power, can play a lot of positions, not a pitcher. What about uh, the very important ranking? How would they rate mom? Uh, that's I a factor, don't really talk about this, but all I can tell you is I was drafted extremely high every single year. Okay. And I was definitely, uh, it was just like Illinois seeding in the NCAA tournament. You're like, they got a two seed? They were like a four. <laughs> Seriously. So right. there must be some hot ADs over at uh, yep. Kathy Arner, uh, who is absolutely a horrible person to deal with. Must mm-hmm. be absolutely gorgeous because... The Illinois sports director. I don't know how they get such high rankings, Coach. I can tell you the dads drafting, or the occasional mom, but almost 99% dads doing the Little League draft, you know, they want to win, so they're going to pick the best player. But when all other things are equal, the mom definitely is the tiebreaker. Um, So, obviously, your mom tiebreaked with arrow pointing upwards. And what about, Big Dog, you left out a key part. What about, what would they say about the attitude of a Joe Radwanski? Good kid, bad kid? Oh, whatever, coach. You know, I was a good kid. I was always team first. Always, I was always the one patting people on the back when they struck out, especially if they were on the other team. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was. I'm not. I don't want to look. I wasn't the best player in the league, but I was okay. definitely the kid you wanted on the team. I was but as a nine, ten year old kid, you were not. Uh, you were not a little too boastful, too uh, braggadocio. Oh, you no, were... no, no, absolutely not. I was. I, I was. I was never braggadocious. And like in your face over stuff until I started playing college football. Okay. And then when I started playing college football, I realized you know, I'm killing people out here. Then I became kind of like, mm-hmm. and it's, and even I was the captain of my football team in high school, junior and senior year, and I really wasn't like a do it my way or die. I just like worked as hard as I possibly could constantly. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and I remember my uh, the guy who they ended up calling the mayor of Baghdad, and I'm not making this up. His name is. Uh, <laughs> No, this is true. He's Colonel Michael Wilson. Okay. okay. I grew up with him. He's one of my best friends, Coach. So don't make fun of this guy. Don't laugh or anything. He's the mayor of Baghdad. When they came in, uh, you know, Desert Storm uh, 1990, mm-hmm. you know, he was there flying uh, a Tomahawk helicopter. Okay. And when they came back in 2003, when they stormed the Baghdad airport, he was in charge of the Baghdad. He ran the Baghdad airport for six years. Wow. Anything, anybody who flew in or out of Baghdad, because the U.S. controlled it, he was the guy that ran the Baghdad airport. Have you talked to this guy? Uh, I have not seen him in a year. I, but the last time mm-hmm. I saw him, it was last when he played football at North and, and baseball with me. He was pudgy. 
you know, and I always thought it was kind of weird. I always thought, like, you know, you're so much better than this. And all the next thing you know, he goes to the military. And to this day, he's, like, in perfect shape. It's just awesome. He's, like, one of those guys I'm just glad that uh, mm-hmm. you would. And, like, my whole life, you'd always want him, like, leading people. And when I was playing football, like, near the end of my senior year, he's, like, you know what? I'm so glad you're our captain because you very rarely said anything. And when you did say something, like, of, like, discipline or get your act together, people mm-hmm. would always listen to you. Because it wasn't like every practice me screaming, screaming, screaming. You know, and, like, I just worked real hard. And I always took that with me. And then I think about it, like, 20 years later, this guy's one of the greatest leaders that I've ever met in my entire life. Like, him and Joe Hogan, like, well, I can't think of anybody that I'm really close to that have led so many people and people mm-hmm. will follow in a heartbeat. Like, if Joe Hogan called me up and was like, get here right now, I'd coach. I would hang if, Like, he called during the middle of the show, I'd probably answer the phone. Would you, if you had Rusty Silbar on line one and a Joe Hogan on line two, where do you, even though Rusty's been holding a half an hour, where do you go if Joe but, calls yeah, yeah. it? Oh, yeah, I feel bad about yesterday because Rusty didn't know how bad my – I still had that horrible <laughs> headache. I was not in a good yeah, mood. You were not in good spirits yesterday. And I don't yeah, so then, I don't, I don't think Rusty I – Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think I added to your good spirits. In fact, I probably uh, helped reinduce your fever that you had. Well, uh, Rusty had a, a challenge to sanctity of Big Ten basketball. <laughs> People look at us. If the Big Ten is so bad, why do they get so? They've had national champions over the last twenty years. They've had many Final Fours. Mm-hmm. Wait, were they supposed to go undefeated in the in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, I know they're not the the, the Big East is the best Big Ten or is the best basketball conference. Well, because they're not the top out of the twenty three conferences that they're mm-hmm. they're supposed to be ashamed. Yeah, and when you say, well, they've had the most teams in, well, let us not forget they've got the most teams in the conference too. No, no, they don't. They have. They just added 12 teams, which makes them the SEC has had 12 for since 1992. The big the Big East had six, has had 16 since 2003. They had 12 since 1977 or mm-hmm. 74. Uh, whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of big conferences in the country, coach. The ACC has 12 players or 12 teams in it. Yep. So and that was they had 12 long before the Big Ten. So don't give it. The Big Ten had fewer than all these conferences that you're right. comparing them to. All right, calm down. We're going to get to March Madness here. Don't uh, that, that's definitely on the docket. We got to talk about games coming up tonight. We got to talk about some championship games played tomorrow. A little NBA basketball. So hoops. A good part of the second half of the show. But uh, Big Dog, we did mention yesterday, and it is Residue Tuesday today. We didn't get to it. We do have to get your thoughts as a ex collegiate football player playing football at nearly the highest level. And again, our phone lines, if you want to check in and uh, comment on the bounty football situation, Greg Williams and company, New Orleans Saints, 888-463-6748. It was a big story over the weekend. I'm not sure it's going to have a whole lot of legs. Seems to be dying out. But, Big Dog, your thoughts on the situation. Much ado about... First first and foremost, this story is not dying out. This is the biggest story that has happened to the NFL in years. And, and all I know is this, the NFL, ugh, whatever, you don't even, you, you, you have no clue what would be the biggest NFL story in years. Hey, I, I, I have the right. going to get suspended for a year. When was the last time that this never happened? He's going to be fined at least a million dollars. Okay, this is the biggest story. Yesterday, NFL Live, one hour, 60 minutes of bounty talk. Peyton Manning wasn't even mentioned one time 
in 60 minutes, he's getting a $28 million bonus in four days, and yeah. you're trying to tell me this can is I, not a big story. Can I break it all down for you? It's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. If you're giving a little, you know, money away or little prize packages for hard hits and, you know, for, for real solid physical plays and hard hits, Everything is cool. I don't care if you got a little bounty for that. If in any way, shape, or form you are encouraging players to injure other players, okay, that's absolutely out of bounds. And for one, I think that's way over-exaggerated. I don't think, with very few exceptions, there's coaches or players that are going out there looking to injure and maim the other players. I think that's media yuckos like you and some of the other sports talk me, people that are raised. Yeah. Me, what are you talking about? Well, you're you just no saying idea. it's the you, you have no idea my opinion on this subject. You're saying it's the biggest story in the year. Blah, blah, blah. What is. I'm saying is I think it it's is. way overrated in pro football. I don't think the malicious go out to injure the other team uh, happens hardly at all. I don't think it is either, Coach. I think it rarely ever happens. That's why when you have an idiot that has been proven for the last 20 years has been putting bounties on players to injure them, it's a huge story, and he has to be well, suspended. But and are I, you I sure? Already know, I already know. Hold on a second. You are the Mr. Official and umpire and referee who yes. makes up your own makes yes. up your own rules as they go along. It is specifically, specifically written in the NFL rules. There will be no bounties, rewards, bonuses, for cash bonuses, for anything. But there's there's players anything. that have played for there's players that have played for Greg Williams, Big Dog, that have said that they've never, never been encouraged by Greg Williams to injure other players. Uh, uh, yeah, David. Uh, well, course. what I was going to say is, I mean, but the, the players are coming out and saying this is something that he's done throughout his career. He did it, it when he was it, in it, Buffalo. He did it when he was in well, Washington. Well, but when you he say did he it, did it, it, it's funny. It's what, funny what, you said that, Coach. Think about that. Some players are like, oh, he never did that, and they look around. As Darren Sharper says that, he never did that as they show Darren Sharper hitting late hit after late hit. And, and, there, how many players have said he did it? And there are they players on the bill, there are players on the bill saying there was a, there was, there was a knockout bonus in place. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. That's, so, so, so you so knock them out of a game, you get the extra, you get well, extra cash. But, but, but how much of the did it, big dog, includes trying to injure? Or maim the, the other player. That's, that's what I'm the, saying. That's the that's the knockout. Well, clause. knockout bonus, a little bonus, but that's not the the gist of it. Okay. By the way, by the way, here's here's the problem, coach. Here's the problem. I don't know if every single team does stuff like Greg Williams has been doing. Now, before you interrupt me, I just want to let you know that I heard eight different NFL players, former NFL players, on television yesterday talking about this in NFL Live. Every single one of them said that all of their teams had player pools on defense. So what? So I agree with you. So I know that's my point. But here's the difference. You cannot have the coach doing it. You cannot have the general manager encouraging this. Okay, it's one thing if the DBs are like, hey, you knock this dude out of the game, here's a 1000 bucks." Okay, but here's, the, but here's another thing, Coach. What happens if all of a sudden – a guy's like, oh, I'll, I'll, if I knock him out of the game, I get an extra $1,000. So maybe I'll hit him cheap. And then all of a sudden you have guys hitting people cheap. And if you say that doesn't happen, so I'll let you know, in 2006 there's a player called Peyton Manning. Do you know who he is? Vegas. You know that for the first time ever in his career, he had to leave the game due to an injury. They were playing the Washington Redskins. 
Coach, I know you won't be able to figure it out. David Olson, who do you think the defensive coordinator was for the, the Redskins back in 06? Uh, that would be one Greg Williams. Greg Blaschet. Okay, well, well, yeah, they were definitely not good <laughs> enough. So they, well, Coach, there was yes, a play where Peyton Manning threw the ball, and about two seconds later, I don't know how it wasn't called a personal foul, by the way, somebody rolled up the back of Peyton Manning's legs, and former bear Phillips Dave Daniels grabbed Peyton Manning by his neck, twisted it, bent him, back, bent him backwards, and ripped his helmet off. Okay? It broke Peyton Manning's neck. He's, Peyton Manning said, yeah, that was the play that had happened on. Okay? And it's proven that if he, uh, that uh, the Reds, Matt Bowen said, oh, heck yeah, the Redskins, he would pay us. Somebody got paid $8,000 when he took somebody's knee out. And it's okay for you. You like this. No. You're the no, you're no. mister. We gotta, we gotta make the game safer, but no. it's okay for a coach to pay a guy to hurt someone? I don't know that I've heard that, but, but if that's well, the coach, case. That's the, you, that's what, you don't even know it's a story. Let this me be very specific. Let me be very specific. If that's the case, if they're paying people, uh, players to injure other players, suspensions, a year suspension from the NFL, major money, I'm all for what I'm saying is well, I don't okay, think okay, that happens. Let you know in the NFC Championship game. Just, just look, this is this stuff is all coming out. Okay, in the NFC Championship game, Jonathan Vilma pulls out one hundred hundred dollar bills, ten thousand dollars, throws it down on the table, and says, "I'm adding this to the bounty on Favre. If anybody knocks them out, they got it." Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't care. It's Brett Favre, so I, I'm, you know. But if you watch that game. Look at the stuff they were doing to Favre. Favre hands the ball off to Percy Harvin, jogs, and isn't even carrying out the fake, and Darren Sharper comes out of nowhere and blows him up. Blows him up. Was he penalized? No, no. They, they, went, oh, trust me, they went over all of this. You know, and the funny thing is this, too, Coach. Now let me get into the other stuff, why this is such a big story. Okay? You have the fact that there's how many players, I think Dave told us the other day, Olson told us the other day about how many players are suing the NFL for head trauma stuff. Well, if all of a sudden you have an NFL team going out there being like, hey, if you knock this dude out, we're giving you $5,000. We're giving you $8,000 if you knock him out of the game. Well, all of a sudden one of these guys gets a concussion, find out they have a bounty on their head, they can sue the NFL. They can sue the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> this could be one of the most major ramifications stories. And this year was the epitome of, oh, my goodness, are they really trying to make this, like, flag football? And, and, and like I've always said, Coach, we have to coach our children how to tackle properly. You know, and I, I kind of I feel a little bit bad for, like, defensive players in the NFL now because, you know, they're, they've always been taught one way, now there's something else. And we people like you who coach football need to have people leading with their chest and not the butt of their helmet, you know. And uh, so, and so this, we have this whole era of let's make football safer. And no matter what everybody said about the NFL, there was a little bit of hypocrisy in it. But you, you can say, you know, they are trying to make it safer. And then all of a sudden this happens. It's a huge story, Coach. All right. Well, here, here's my issue. People listening to you right now and some of the other sports talkers, and maybe you don't feel this way, but the way it comes across is that it's a huge story. It's widespread. It's almost. No, no, it's I won't say. Well, but that's that's the impression. Hold on, hold on, hold on, coach. Hold on, thing. It is widespread because every single team, the players do it together. No. Every team. No. Every team. No. That's every where I completely team. disagree with you. Every. Okay, just to let you know, just to let you know, every single player asked about this says, "Yeah, we do that." 
Do the coaches well, do it? No, again, our coaches don't we do it? When you say we do, do that, what is the that that you're talking about? Okay, I, I'm not talking the organization because so far we can only prove that the Saints did it, and the and the Bills and the Redskins did it, and the Oilers did it. Yeah. Okay, uh, but what I'm talking about is players band together, like position groups. I thought the defense get together. Okay. Yeah, get to it. Right? Uh, what what do they do? Let's stop beating around the bush and get to monetary it. Monetary rewards to each other for big hits. For well, uh, big hits, that's fine. For, no problem okay, with that. I don't have a problem with the big hits either. But when you start talking about knocking people out of games, okay, it's a little different, Coach. Well, It's, a, it's totally, completely different. These guys are already too fast and too strong and running mm-hmm. into each other. There's no reason... To have somebody, oh, you know what? Here, his neck is in an awkward spot. Maybe if I take him off and make him land on his neck, look. Yeah, if you don't believe that doesn't happen, no, I don't. Every single defensive player who was interviewed yesterday was like, "Oh yes, I, yeah, well, I definitely try to add a little bit to it." When uh, well, again, but, trying to add a little bit to the hit and trying to injure somebody's neck—two completely different things, big dog. No, no, and no, I would no, argue no. that ninety-eight percent of the athletes out there, the NFL players, even at the highest level, the most intense level, there's an athletic code out there, and you don't. You don't break that code, and that is you don't try to go out and purposely injure other players. If you do that, teammates will call you out. Other teams will fall, find out about you. You'll be ostracized. And I think people make it as, you know, way too big of a story. Athletes, NFL players, they're not going out for the most part in trying to maim or injure or take out the knees of the other players. No, I, I, I don't think they are either, Coach. Well, I don't then, think so the there's the point. It's not that big a story. I, no, I don't uh, – it is when it's a coach. That's okay, the fine. This, this, isn't what, this isn't the example that I just gave you. It's the other example. So it is a big story. You just proved my – this isn't the players. This is a general manager hiring somebody and encouraging it. This is uh, this is a coach that paid, paid somebody $8,000 who took a dude's knee out. That's enough said. If you don't think that's a big deal, no, that's, okay, that, why don't you let your if, son play against that coach then? If, in fact, you got your facts right and, and there was a verbally stated $8,000 for taking somebody's knee out that is inexcusable to player and the coach, they could be suspended for a lifetime as far as I'm concerned. There are inexcusable. 50,000 50, pages of documents. The NFL has handled this investigation mm-hmm. so unbelievably and so quietly that maybe they should be running some – federal government agency right now. It's unbelievable how well they handle this. The they like, they're like, we're going we're gonna to show everything to everybody. We, we're going to have Williams is coming in, and he's going to explain his side of this story, and then we're going to make another statement after that is basically mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So I'm not saying he said, oh, 8000 to take his knee out. It was this guy, if he is taken out of the game, you will get $8,000. It was a playoff game back in, like, with the Redskins or something like that. Heard quarterback... And, uh, uh, Jim Miller interviewed, I think it was yesterday, 11 years in the NFL. He said with all the teams he played on, never, never, ever heard of any kind of talk like that where players get paid to try to injure the other players. He also well, said the – I agree, Coach. It doesn't happen that often. Okay. So when it does happen, you have to stop it. You have to stop it. Okay? Well, that... and, I, and like you said, you know what? I know it's against the NFL rules. So no organization, no coach, no GM should ever give any type of reward or bounty, whether it be an interception, a legal big hit, or especially, especially a dirty one. 
But if a player wants to do it, hey, that's their own thing. They've been doing this since Red Grange was playing with the Bears in the 20s. If, a, if players want to put a pool together, you're right. But And you're exactly right. If somebody goes and does something cheap, the other team will do something about it. You think it, uh, Philip Daniels wasn't chopped to his knees after he ripped Peyton Manning's helmet off? Mm-hmm. I would like to see the rest of that game and see what they did to Philip Daniels that day. All right. Fair enough. So after all the going back and forth, actually the two of us don't disagree that much. So you're you're oh, saying no. just that specific Greg Williams situation Yes, it's huge. It really okay. is. It's, it's one of the most intriguing stories. This happens in the year where the NFL is about to boast, hey, our head traumas are down. We have new guidelines. Like, even if this is still a violent sport, we're going in the right direction. And they got the whole shiny badge and everything's going good. And all of a sudden, boom, oh, we have a coach that is paying players and knock people out of games. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Coach, I agree. It isn't as widespread. It, this, this, everybody who puts that helmet on, trust me, I, the, the best way I can say it is, whether I was going to get a helmet sticker for the big hit or or not, I was going to hit you as hard as I possibly could. And I don't think a guy in the NFL in a playoff game, here you go, $500 uh, reward for a big hit, is going to hit the guy any harder than he would if he wasn't getting that money. Would you agree with that? These guys are so competitive, that money means nothing. Yep. Okay? But if you do say, hey, this is for a knockout, I don't, maybe, hey, I'll drop him on his shoulder. I'll make him land on his neck. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there aren't a lot of those players, but there are some cheap players in the history yeah. of football. Remember Van Waters, the, the late Van Waters who died all the concussions? Yep. They talk about the stuff he would do out on the, on the football field, and he would pay players. Hey, if you, anybody who, uh, if anybody like uh, ends uh, Evan Smith's career, I'll give you $10,000. He would tell people. And he See, would, he would, pay, he would pay people a hundred bucks if during the game they were able to hold wow. up Emmett Smith so he could get a running shot at him because he he said publicly, "I want to break Emmett Smith's leg." You know, and so you remember, that was an ugly, ugly situation. The NFL, we have to uh, now. That's a player, so in a sense, it, it's still real ugly, but it's not as bad as Greg Williams goes. Yeah, I agree. And here's where some of of what you said breaks down a little bit. I think, and that is. The current players today, Big Dog, it's not like in the old days where they would not talk to each other. They didn't know each other. It is a fraternity now via Facebook, via Twitter, via uh, these you know travel teams, via these all-star games. They know each other. There's a mm-hmm. lot of contacts. You know, back in the, in the, in the 50s and 60s, nobody helped the other team after you tackled them and helped pick them up. Now you see, you know, on occasion – Players will do that. You'll pick up the player from the other team. So they know each other a little bit. So you cannot, in a locker room, do what Van, don't call me Muddy Waters, did and say, hey, we're going to try to take out this guy, take out that guy, because the guy they're talking about injuring is probably friends or has good connections with many players on that same team. So I don't think in today's modern-day professional sport that attitude can really be very pervasive because the players know each other much more, if that makes any sense. And especially in a 53-man locker room, you're eventually going to run into connections. Yeah. You know I mean, you can be in a locker room and you have a bunch of guys from the Boston Celtics being like, hey, let's not let this Jeremy Lin can do anything. Because, you know what I mean? That's yep. a little different. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And they could do, they could have a little pack that nobody knows about. You do that in a football yep. locker room, there's going to be at least one of the 53 being like, dude, that's my college roommate. Yeah. What are you talking about? Stopping them, defending them is one thing. Injuring <laughs> them? 
injuring him, totally not cool. And I don't think it would be allowed in a uh, professional sports or college sports or high school sports locker room. Can I ask you a question? Oh, definitely. We have to teach our youth to play football aggressively, hit people hard, and hit them legal and clean. And I think 99% of the youth coaches do so. Yeah, I hope so. Well, Coach, let me ask you one thing. Because going back to your previous point, which is a good one, an excellent one, nowadays football is totally different than before. Who do you think is the greatest pro football coach of all time? Pro football coach? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, the, the, the two that come right at me are Lombardi and Landry. Okay. Uh, Tom Landry, I know nothing but class about. Class. Class. Now, I'm not saying Vince Lombardi wasn't class and all that, but just, just to let you know that uh, the center and the tight ends, the fullbacks and the guards and the tackles for the Green Bay Packers all had bounties for who was ever to chop uh, Dick Buckus' knees out from underneath them and hurt him and knock him out of the game. So you know what I you know what I'm saying? You got you got two of the greatest coaches of all time. I'm so glad you gave me two. There was one, Tom Landry, who was a coach with Vince Lombardi uh on the New York Giants and was all about X's and O's and you prepare and blah 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 and you play football that way. Then there was Vince Lombardi who was I know he had all the great sayings, but he was more like do whatever it takes to win and if it if involves hurting the other player, then that's exactly what you have to do, win at all costs. I've never heard that before. It's all with I never heard him say win at all costs. I heard him say winning isn't everything. It's the only thing, but I've well, never. Well, 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 Coach, I, I didn't mean he said win at all costs. If you're telling your, if your offensive scheme is to basically devastate Dick Buckus, okay, they would they post and chop all that stuff to him. They had plays set up specifically where, they, you know, as soon as uh, uh, Dick Buckus got engaged with a lineman, somebody would fly in and drill him at his knees. Dick Buckus played, what, nine years in the NFL, and he could barely move after the second one? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's your right. It's been going on a long time, and that couldn't happen nowadays. I really can't imagine. That, as a matter of fact, you remember when the, the Broncos, the Broncos were playing real cheap like that under Mike Shanahan for a few years? 31 teams in the NFL banded against them, and the Broncos became like the evil scourge of the, of the NFL because their offensive linemen would uh, chop in positions that they didn't need to chop. Mm-hmm. And they, the NFL made up rules that I know you absolutely love that basically they're all for – they. it was like one of those things when the Miami Hurricanes had the, the celebration penalties in the 80s and 90s, and they and they basically – all the examples that they showed for what you can't do, they were all the Miami Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing with the Broncos about how they would, they would show players where it was a pass play coach, okay, and the ball is released downfield. And then all the Bronco linemen, when the ball is released, would chop the opposing defensive linemen on their knees. With, with the, play, they don't, the play is gone. There's nothing to do. So, oh, okay, let me just hit you in the knee. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff became illegal. So it, like, like a, now in the NFL, you will hear like the, the, the referee, the guy behind the quarterback, will scream, ball's gone. And as soon as they do that, if the linemen don't stop blocking each other, you can get a penalty on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, to me, all, almost, almost without exception, every one of the rules they put in to protect the players has been good. I know a lot of people argue about it. It's sissifying the NFL. I well, no, think no, they're no, good. No. The example you gave is a perfect one. There's no place for that. That's not part of football. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, no, the spirit of the rule is good. Uh, the enforcement of some of them has really been bad, really been bad. And, and sometimes I do it. They have to think about intent and football circumstances. 
okay, because they basically went one year, they were like, all right, everything that you've, you've been playing football since you've been 10 and everything you've ever been taught, you have to unlearn in a way. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our biggest argument. That, hey, here, that we, here's my simple, simple theory on the rules. You want, to, you want to take a guy down? Take him down when he can see you. When he's right in front of you, but the well, blindside. What are you talking? There's sometimes bang bang plays in the NFL. Oh, I'm going to wait one second. Okay, now I'll tap. You can't do that, coach. You can't do that. No, I'm just saying that the the, the blindside chop block when the guy's not looking oh, oh. is a cheap play. The guy can't see. You want to be a tough guy? You want to impress me? Well, when the defender's coming at you, he's got a good look. And you're an offensive lineman. Boom! Put him on his back, pancake him. That's impressive. Not. When he's facing away from me and you slam him down on the back, whether that's legal or not, to me that's a cheap play. You know, guys coming well, at you. When, uh, well, luckily the, the crackback you cannot go to anybody's legs. Yes. When uh, when they're from the side anymore, it's and illegal. That's, that's a good rule. That's one of the most beautiful rules that yes. they have ever been put in the football. And uh, and trust me, I, I we used to run this play where they would split. I was a tight end. Sometimes they would split me out, and I would run and crack down. I'm the first person linebacker off the line of scrimmage. Coach, I had the, back then it was legal to, to dive into somebody's legs. And I had a coach be like, hey, if you ever have problems, just cut the guy. And I remember thinking, I'm not playing for this. This isn't uh, Hunger Games. You know what I mean? I'm not here to kill somebody. And by the way, when you can crack down on somebody and you can hit them up top, you can do a lot more damage and look well, a lot more studly than if you drop at their knee. I was just going to use the example. Here's another uh, impress me, don't impress me. Wide receiver jumps up for a ball over the middle. He twists and turns, and from the backside, literally the receiver's back, a defensive back comes flying in and takes him out at all, whether it's legal or not, probably legal. Big hit, he absolutely quote. What a hit by number 32. That doesn't impress me. You want to impress okay. me as a defensive you, you back? You get a wide receiver running in space, and and then you come out from an angle or whatever, and you absolutely level them and drive them back while the guy was running. Wow. Then you got me off my little lazy boy. Then I'm up there cheering. I don't care what team you're on. That impresses me, not a flying hit from behind that some announcers get all excited about. Well, no, no, no. Obviously, the more impressive play is the, the latter one that you yes. said. But I guarantee you one thing, if my DBs don't come flying up and drill a dude when he's up in the air trying to catch a ball, and they better do it legally, which means lead with the chest, and then your hand should be slamming as hard as they possibly can into their arms to separate the ball, which is a legal hit. You do it that way, I'm impressed. What was the football player supposed to do? Oh, uh, maybe I'll let the guy catch the ball and let him in no, the open seat I and then drag him down. No, I, I, I didn't say that. They can still make the tackle without trying to, you know, put their shoulder right in the small of the guy's back. The play that you described, no, no, well, tackle him and trying to strip the, the football, that's exactly the way it should be done. That's, my point is that's what the, the, the objective, the ideal in football yes. should be to get the ball, not the person. I agree. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? That's yes, what absolutely. It should, be. It, should be, it should be the ball, the ball, not the guy, the guy, the guy. Play the ball. Do you remember uh, – you ever see, uh, I almost said Fast Times at Richmond High, all the right moves, Tom Cruise. Yes, great movie. Tom Cruise played a, he was a white, weak side cornerback, which he, those are supposed to be Deion Sanders, okay. But he's playing for the best high school football team in Pennsylvania. Craig T. Nelson is his coach. And the whole time, uh, Tom Cruise kept going for the big hit. And I remember Craig T. Nelson being like, 
this isn't archaic football. You're supposed to play the ball, son. You play the ball. And that's, that's so funny. That movie was made in the early 80s, and it's 30 years later, and it's still a, like a con- play the ball. Okay, like, really, Coach, I would rather have a guy with 12 interceptions next year than the most big hits in football. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have the takeaways. I, I, trust me, I like the big hits as much as anybody, but I want to win. And if you, as youth football coaches, you have really got to just teach the ball. So, like, when people are tackling, you shouldn't just tackle. You should be ripping on the football. As a matter of fact, if I had a linebacker that forced like five extra forced fumbles throughout a year, but he may have missed 12 extra tackles by trying to force the ball out, I would take that in a heartbeat. Well, there is a slight two or three extra turnovers. But there's a slight so, fallacy in your thinking, and I do want to get to basketball here real quick. I knew we'd get the big dogs fever going a little bit, get that intensity going. Good stuff, though, Doug. Good stuff with a little bounty hunting football talk, and Mr. Greg Williams is in a whole heap of trouble. But I I do got to disagree with you a little bit when you're teaching the young players, and even at the high school age, the problem with your theory is if you emphasize strip the ball too much, you are then subtly or unsubtly de-emphasizing what you love so much, Big Dog, and that is the good form wrap-up tackle. Because if you're going to use one arm to strip, you no longer are teaching the young fifth-grade kid to wrap up and make uh, the, the tackle. So The, the wrap-up in the tackle should involve punching the football, 100%. And I, I, I do not want to downgrade the, the fierceness of the hit, the amount you want to take the guy down too much. But, the, like, when I'm driving into a guy, I would want to focus on the football. If you understand what I'm talking well, about. Well, I do, but, but Lovey Smith, I think his theory is first guy in, Makes the tackle. Second guy in, strip the football. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's only Charles Tillman who seems to come flying up and punch the ball it? out. Of these. Like, if you can teach that tackling way to somebody, oh, my goodness. The yeah. way he, he wraps you up and he keeps his arms nice and tight. Like, his like his elbows are at his side and he, like, punches forward when he's tackling somebody. And if he gets his fist in there, oh, the Bears get a turnover. Yep. Yeah, he's really good at it. You can watch tapes of uh, Charles. He's got different techniques, too, the rip, the punch, and uh, the guy's made a science of it, no question about it. 888-463-6748, the dog and the coach with you right up until 11 o'clock here on the Two Guys and a Mike Show. Beautiful Tuesday in the fine city of Chicago. Big dog, real quick, uh, as we transition to basketball, this is a buffer between the March Madness talk and the rather heated Football discussion, can we wish a happy birthday to the Oreo cookie today, which turned, believe it or not, dog, the Oreo cookie 100 years old today. Al Roker's 100? Who? Al Roker? Who's Al Hoker? Al Roker? Al Roker is, never mind, you don't know who he is. Well, you just (laughs) tell That's his nickname. I'm sorry. The Oreo cookie. Oh, Okay. No, uh, not Al Hoker is not 100 years old. The actual... Al Roker, not Hoker. Al Roker. Oh, Al Roker. I'm sorry. NBC Morning Man. Or is it yeah. CBS or ABC, whatever they is. you got to love it, it Al it's Roker. Been, it's been NBC for like 40 years, Coach. Yep. Yep. He, he's down to like 320, isn't he? He's looking good. Oh, he's lower than that. He, he Tremendous job, Al Roker. I think the glasses weigh about 46 pounds. You take that off, and he's going <laughs> to lose a lot of weight. But... Um, Oh my goodness. But, yeah, the Oreo cookie started off, of course. You know, there's been variations of it, but still the good old-fashioned Oreo cookie, Big Dog. 
one of the great things that has transcended the ages. So we do want to wish the – nobody knows exactly how it got its name, by the way. How, do you, how did it get its name? Well, they don't know. There's no definitive uh, OR is what, gold in some other language? Some people yeah. say it's that, and the RE might have come from cream, but there's different theories. And it doesn't really matter. Let's just wish a happy birthday to something that I think 99% of Americans can appreciate, the good old Oreo cookie. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to be the killjoy. I, I, I'm so lucky. I don't like those cookies. They're, so, they're like, way too sweet. I don't know. Something about, I don't like Oreos. I'm like the one guy, not even with milk. Oh. So uh, that's only, cool. I'm, I'm fine. You could take out the hydrogenated crap in the middle, but the cookie part itself, if they sold that, like, or a, or a pie with Oreo cookie crust, is awesome. You know, I will tell you this. It's funny you said that. Yeah. I do not like the Oreo cookie. But when you put the Oreo crumbled up into some ice cream, yes. the Oreo cookie is freaking delicious. Interesting. And, and, I, and I'm going to be honest. So that's the, I should say I totally hate the Oreo. Not hate. Well, I do hate it. I don't eat them plain. There's just something I just don't like it as a cookie. You yes, put in that ice cream, oh, They do indeed sell the Oreo cookie without the cream. They do? They do. Oh, yeah, I saw it in Walmart really? the other day. Yeah. Where? I saw it at Walmart. Walmart? I saw it at Walmart, yes. Find me the closest Walmart. i got to stop by there. Okay. Yeah, just the two, the two cookies? So, do, do, no, well, no, they, obviously they're single oh, cookies. Singles, but, okay. but, yeah, but yeah, they Sort of like got, shaped like Thin Mints, except they're the Oreo cookie. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I like it. Many Awfully different good. kinds of Oreos. I didn't realize Awfully. they had that many type of different Oreos. But you got to admit, the Oreo cookie, even with the cream, dipped in milk when it just kind of disintegrates, awfully good. Oh, yeah, I love I the Oreo. That. I haven't had them in years because they're terrible for you, but yeah, awfully good. Awfully good. You, do, right. you, do, you will, Your body will stay around a lot longer if you eat four Oreo cookies a day. When you die, you will not. You will be preserved a lot longer. Coach. <laughs> oh boy. There's the ultimate bad news, good news, huh? Yeah. Especially well, if you eat a lot of Twinkies, Hostess cupcakes. Yeah. Anything that's in a plastic baggie that has an expiration date that is older than your son, okay, then you know at that point it's bad for you because you shouldn't be eating. <laughs> the bad news is you will probably die at a much earlier age. However, we can report the good news is in death your body will probably be much more well-preserved. Now, uh, I am not kidding. When I, I bring this up. One of my buddies loves the freaking Twinkie. Okay. And you remember, like, I, I think it was Dave who talked. There was talk about they were going to quit making the Twinkie yep. for some reason. This guy was like, dude, I'll buy 100,000 <laughs> of them. They never go bad. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'll just buy them all now. I was like, are you yeah, he was serious? He could, you know? he could be selling Twinkies like other people sell drugs if they go out. You yeah, know? It, it, I, that's well, exactly I'll how the conversation should have been there. Want to buy some Twinkies? Well, yeah, it was the hostess bankruptcy. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. (laughs) Now, how's that going? They're all right, right? You know what they they used to call the big dog? They used to call him the hostess with the mostess. And it had nothing to do with the Twinkies, believe me. 888-463-6748. Dog, all we got is about three or four minutes on March Madness College Hoops. More championship games tonight. By the way, Western Illinois. The Leathernecks are one game away from being a flat-out Cinderella, my friend. They beat Oral Roberts yesterday 54-53, to and they will play for the championship tonight. Go Leathernecks. Please. It would be nice to have somebody from the state of Illinois make the tournament coach. 
It would. Oh, yeah, hopefully Western Illinois can get it done tonight. Would be indeed, they, they would be the ultimate Cinderella's. Uh, uh, Virginia Commonwealth, VCU, you remember them from last year? Yeah. They, they were the butler of last year. Uh, Shaka Smart, right there, Coach? Shaka Smart gave an excellent pregame speech. They beat Drexel, and wow, that was one heck of a basketball game. I, Coach Drexel may be a tournament team. They, that was a good game. Yeah, they had they one. Had Drexel won like, what, 18 in a row? Yeah, I guess I, I think I heard something like that. Yeah, they had the longest winning streak in the country, and they, that was snapped last night. That game was really, really good. The 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 Fairfield, uh, Loyola, Loyola, Maryland. That game was that game was phenomenal, and then uh, the other game too was uh, West Carolina. Yes, and Davidson. And, and Davidson, Davidson won in in overtime, ninety three, ninety one, and that what a night for basketball, coach. If you were a basketball fan. You just had a, a joy of a night because, like we said, the St. Mary's-Gonzaga game, both teams were getting in. Great game. But St. Mary's won their first time they ever won the regular season and conference uh, basketball champ- tournament champions in the same year. And that went into overtime. And, oh, by the way, the, the Bulls were able to put an absolute yep. beat down on the, on the Pacers. So last night, if you were... If you were a basketball fan, there was something for you to watch. What a night. I happened to tune in by sheer luck and happenstance to the third quarter of the Bulls-Indiana Pacers game, and that's where the Bulls outscored him like 20-4. to Derrick Rose was unbelievable. Apparently in the first half, he was much less than unbelievable. What a third quarter he played. They blew out the Indiana Pacers. And um, uh, just to correct you a little bit, the Davidson-West Carolina game, double overtime. Oh, double. Great yeah, that's game. Right, that's right. You had to be rooting for Western Carolina, the Catamounts. They haven't been to the NCAA tournament forever. And Dikembe Matumbo's, I think it was his nephew, was playing in the game because they showed Dikembe uh, sitting at courtside. You know, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever seen uh, Dikembe so uh, demonstrative. You know how he was always like real emphatic? Yes. He was the most emphatic rooting oh. for – it was hilarious. Without a doubt, that was one of the highlights of the night. Watching him react to yes. stuff last coach. Much harder watching your kid play, or in this case your nephew, than actually playing yourself. Yes. It's a lot more tense up in the stand. Believe me, I can attest to that in some small way. We should also mention Valparaiso. Coached by ex-NCAA March Madness hero Bryce Drew. They're in the championship game. I think they play, I think it's tonight. They take on the uh, fighting Detroit. What's Detroit's nickname? The Maroons? Well, Detroit Mercy. Yeah, Mercy. No, There's a... I'll think. Uh, but Bryce Drew, uh, 37 years old, in his first year, taking over for his dad, Homer Drew. And you know you're getting old, Big Dog, when some of the kids we used to see as stars in March Madness are now coaches, but he's doing a hell of a job, and his team is one game away from the NCAAs. Yeah, hopefully they can get done. Now, Detroit has a pretty good team, Coach. They've got a, a small forward. I remember I watched a game earlier when they were playing Butler on TV. This kid can play. I mean, he's an NBA player, and very rarely do you have a team from that conference in the Horizon League in the, that going to the NBA. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a good game for that Beautiful. Beautiful. More March Madness to come. We'll talk a lot of hoops tomorrow. And, Big Dog, uh, let us not forget a week from tomorrow. You and me will be uh, helping to conduct a March Madness special with the playbook in Niles. Should be a lot of fun. And just as a sidelight, oh, the Bulls are playing the Miami Heat that night, too. Pretty good night for basketball. Uh, it ought to be a pretty good night, Coach. We're going to have cameras out there. It'll be a good time. It'll be a real good time. Mm-hmm. Have you figured out what you're going to dress? Are you going to go like sport coat and tie? 
Are you going to look like the football jock, or are you still uh, debating? Because for many people, this will be their first sighting of the big dog. No, I'm a master debater, Coach. So, I've heard that. I, I'm going to go jeans and white T-shirt and black shoes. I'm literally going to go out on a limb for myself. I'm going really? to dress like I always do. Okay. So you're going to go with the kind of the Joe fan casual look? Yeah, like I do 100% of the time. Okay. I might go... Uh, I might go shirtless with a tie. What do you think? Hat, maybe a, like a Chicago Bulls hat turned backwards. A pair of well, boxer shorts. Well, it was good shorts. doing the show today. I really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, I really <laughs> appreciate all my Polish friends who came over yesterday and, and brought the pierogi. Thank you very much. Very good. I appreciate it. A happy Casimir Pulaski Day to everybody. Let us not forget, it's only about, um, I think, 59 days to the 138th running of the Kentucky Derby, Big Dunk. That sounds about right, Coach. All right. Big dog, be good. We'll talk to you tomorrow and hopefully uh, be talking about America's new Cinderella team, the Western Illinois Leatherneck. Go Leatherneck. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. TalkZone.com. Two guys in a mic, the big dog and the coach producer extraordinaire, David Olson. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Have a great day.